Yo, welcome to the My City Podcast. Podcast episode 48. Got your boy Sam, got your boy Ira, you saying? How's it going, people? How's it going, people? Got a man like Josh, aka Nizzy. Yo, yo, yo. AKA Nizzy Fitness, aka all the Nizzy's, fam. Uh, trust me. Nizzy moment. He's saying, bro. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm as well as I can be. I've got no complaints whatsoever, man. Things are mad. Um, no, nah, it's been well with you, man. Love for jumping on, bro. Jumping on. Anyway, um, last topic. Uh, in the last um, episode, we had our friends on the London-ish podcast come and speak. Uh, we looked at the different, what's called Women Were Made for Men, <clears throat> part two. Uh, we looked at the different struggles that both black women have in London. We looked at some of the different um, double standards we have. Uh, we looked at, you know, in friendship circles, What's the best way to tell someone that you know they're not being on point? And what's the best way to um, pattern someone you like or love in terms of helping them become a better version of themselves without ruining that friendship? Um, today we're going to be looking at the effects of the coronavirus on um, global markets and, and on jobs, and we're also going to be looking at um, the financial implications of it. And after um, Josh, after Josh comes in, then I guess Josh will give an intro into himself in a minute. And um, yeah, Sam, did you have anything you wanted to add regarding that? Said, I think, as you guys have probably guessed, um, Corona, Coro, Coro has got us doing this thing virtually, fam. Like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, we're in 2020 and that, so you know, we got to embrace the technology. My city's got to keep running, but um, yeah, we're doing this thing over Webex, um, to, to just to just try something different this time. We're all following the guidelines and self-isolating so um so yeah man let's let's deep dive into into this bastard they call coronavirus fam. so um josh Ira, like do you not want to talk about why this like should really just be a health issue but why it's had so many like wide-scale implications on economics and social and everything else like? um yeah i guess i guess before we do that very quickly um Josh, did you want to give us a background on yourself, what you do, so that people don't understand why it makes sense you're on this call? Um, yeah, man. So, sorry about that, Sam. Yeah. Sorry, let me just turn off my sound. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess I've been working in banking for f- about four years now, um, since I graduated from uni, um, and I work in financial markets directly. So, um, I guess. The kind of role that I have, um, it means that like my finger's kind of on, on the pulse of anything kind of like economic, anything financial in terms of actual markets. So when it comes to actual asset classes um, and because of that, it means the remit is quite wide because like, for example, now, like with this whole health thing going on, um, it's impacting us massively well it's impacting everyone but in in 
in particular, like financial markets, is it's having a massive, unprecedented impact. I think I can describe it as now because of the speed of um, uh, decline that we've had in markets across asset classes. So I think I can describe it as unprecedented. But um, I guess, yeah, my relevance um, to this topic is the fact that in my day-to-day -day job, um, I'm trading markets and I'm kind of like, I've got a decent front row seat of what's going on in the world. Um, so yeah, it's been a stressful, I would say it's been a stressful year in, in general, because before all of this stuff, we had like, uh, Trump shooting Iranian planes out of the sky, et cetera. Like that was this year, you know, like Iran, they said they shot down the passenger plane by accident. So there's been a lot that's been going on this year. And, um, the coronavirus is kind of in the the big thing that's kind of tipped everyone over the edge so can you give us a high level like just like for i mean explanation into how financial markets work like what you know trump's actions um have an impact on on how the market and it affects you know share prices stock prices bond prices and that um i would say even so if we if we use a simple example like what what is a financial market is a place where people buy and sell assets right um and that buying and selling is uh the price you agree to do something to buy or sell something two parties have to agree on that price right um and yeah you can do a whole bunch of like uh quite complicated analysis to come up with a price but at the end of the day someone is only going to pay something for something that they think is the fair price. Right? So yep. if someone thinks all of a sudden my iPhone is worth 500 pounds and not a thousand pounds, then that is the prevailing market price. Right? So in terms of the impact, um, a lot of it has been purely based on, I would say elements of fear and demand and supply. So on the one hand, you've got, um, massive investor fear that the pandemic is going to have some sort of lasting economic impact, um, which markets very quickly try to price in. So for example, like three and a half weeks ago, literally the U S stock market was trading at all time highs. Right. And at that point you could not really find any investor. I would say the majority of investors would have been happy to keep buying at the top and pushing things higher and higher and higher and higher. Because if they looked at the risk factors in the world, there wasn't anything that was significant enough to suggest otherwise, i.e. that the price should be lower. Um, so what has happened with this whole pandemic is that I think the, the height of social media definitely has a, a, a part to play in this because it's made the fear a lot more visible to a lot more people. Yeah. Um, and once you have that sort of widespread coverage and constant coverage, um, that fear kind of ripples through the system more and more and more. So on the one hand, you've got the fear element. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the supply and demand element, right? So when it comes to, so markets are very quick to try and establish what the fair price is, right? So the same way we kind of laid out some topics at the start of this and, and we're talking about which jobs are going to be affected, which sectors are going to be affected. 
it's the same things that investors do, right? So for anyone that is running a portfolio, they have to look at their risk factors and think, okay, I'm exposed to XYZ sector. What is the potential impact of this pandemic on the assets within that sector, right? So things that are easy to assess without being a professional, things like transport and, and uh, leisure, tourism, um, the airline industry, et cetera, those things, you, you don't need to be a rocket science to realize that they're going to get directly impacted straight away from yeah, yeah. the situation that we're seeing. So if, it, if an investor has like billions of dollars of exposure within this sector, then the chances are they're going to want to get out of that, right? So the more and more people that want to get out of it means that there's an imbalance between demand and supply, right? So there's it's massively skewed to the supply side. Um, and that's what's going to, that's what drives the prices down. So that's what we're seeing across the boards. Perfect. Thanks for that. So, uh, Sam, over to you. So, I know you had a question regarding why we're seeing um, certain certain effects. Did you want you um, elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, Josh touched on it a little bit. So, I guess so. I'm a scientist. So, the minute I hear about coronavirus and COVID, immediately, like my mind turns into, you know, how the virus, you know, attacks your respiratory tracts. How if you have some kind of underlying condition how that can, you know, affect your health, really. I'm just looking at it from a health perspective. Um, but then I guess you do start to think what kind of, um, why, why does it start to affect like, the financial world? Um, why has everything shut down? Will this lead to a recession? And I guess that's that's my question, really. Um, you know, to what extent do we, we think about health and, um, you know, global pandemics when we're looking at economics and, and planning for our, our businesses and um, and that kind of thing. It, it's interesting because um, we, we look at why it affects jobs or why it affects markets. At the end of the day, um, well, UK specifically, we're a service-led industry and our greatest assets are our people um, in terms of the different jobs they have, the different skills they have as well as <clears throat> what output they provide on any given basis. So naturally when a virus or when something imposes or impacts your people, it's gonna have a dead of have an effect on the jobs that those people work. So if a virus is causing people to be sick, causing death, causing illness, causing infections, then naturally those people can't really then work as effectively as they can do. And naturally as a result of that then those companies that they work at can't work as effectively as they need to. And then those markets that those companies belong to can't work as effectively as they, as they need to. And as a result of that, you then have the issues you're seeing now. So, that's what, and so for example, I'll give you an example. Um, let's say I'm a job where I rely on, um, I, I, let's look at the airline industry, for example, or even fundamentally, let's look at the restaurants industry, for example. Um, restaurants have different kind of people there. You have your bartenders, you've got your waiters, you've got your sh your chefs, right? Um, if, a, if they all become infected with a virus, then your your um, your customers are also going to become infected with a virus. Or if a chef becomes unwell, you have you now have one fewer chef. If a waiter becomes unwell, you now have one fewer waiter. But then you still have the same demand of customers coming in. So what's happening now is that business is underperforming. If a business underperforms, customers aren't going to go there anymore. And on the flip side, if customers are coming in sick 
or if a, you know if 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 a, if a customer's coming in sick, then what would happen is that customer gets infected at that restaurant, leaves the restaurant, goes home or goes elsewhere, affects a bunch of other people as well, and then they then get infected, and then the same cycle repeats where they're now affecting a particular business, results in a loss of um key key employees, and as a result of that, then that business then struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Josh, did you want to spend on that, or am I on the right track there? No, I I think I think you're spot on. Um, there's the way I see it is like there's there's like two. Um, it's all I always bring things back down to demand and supply because at the end of it, that's that's all it boils down to, right? So on the demand element, like when I think the the easy way to look at it is that um, if you use the example of football, so. They've, what, what they've done, postponed the season, right? So they've caused it, essentially. Yeah. Um, if you think about on match day, yeah, how many people um, go to see these matches on a Saturday, right? Across all the, all the, all the fixtures across the whole league, yeah? Um, think about how many people that is and what they're doing day to day. So in order to go to the match, they have to buy a bus ticket or train ticket. They're probably going to get like a burger and chips on the way. <laughs> yeah. they're gonna get some drinks as well they're gonna get a couple of cans in um they might they might go for dinner on the way back home yeah if their team won they might like go shove it out that night you know they might hit the club or whatever <laughs> that's a lot of money being spent right so if you then think about the situation we're in now where people's general behavior in terms of um expenditure being able to enjoy themselves etc think about all of that demand that is suddenly gone. Like, it's not there anymore. Like, companies aren't going to receive that money. Um, that money is not going to find its way into the economic system. So when you think about, like, use the example of restaurants. So imagine a restaurant is, is, uh, has its stock listed um, and you look at the stock price before all of this happened. The stock price should theoretically represent... It. All, all the stock price is... is uh, future cash flow, right? That's literally all it is. So if you if we then say, oh, the virus is here, everybody's staying at home, there's not going to be any income uh, or any normal income for the next three months at least, then automatically that stock price has to come down because that's real cash flow that is not going to be there anymore. So you have to take it out. And if there's anyone who's willing to buy the stock price at a higher price, regardless that that, is, that new information has come to light, then they're, they're a sucker, right? And <laughs> and, they're, and they're gonna lose money because someone out there is gonna see them bidding for the stock and be like, oh, hang on, this idiot doesn't realize what's going on. I'm gonna sell to yeah, them. Yeah. And then the stock price is gonna go down, right? Because market forces are gonna take it to where the general consensus is. Um, so I think the, the whole demand and supply element and like the simple examples of the fact that people literally aren't out there spending is the easiest way to recognize the um, the economic impact that this is going to have. Um, and I think this is probably one of the only times in, um, in recent years that the stock market um, is actually somewhat more in line with what's going on in the real economy. Because in the past, since the financial crisis, the two have been very much detached and financial markets have been operating in a complete bubble separate to the, the to the real economy um and the dynamics that's been taking place there is not what people generally see in in the real economy which is why things like um 
wealth inequality is so wide. That's it's like case in point. Um, so yeah, I always bring it back down to the demand and supply element. Um, I think that the interesting way to see it is if we look at the example of China, um, even though, so you made the example of the UK being service-led, right? Um, and obviously in China, it's the flip case whereby they're more manufacturing-led and, and physical labor, et cetera. And when you look at them, when they had their lockdown, uh, people literally couldn't go to work, right? Like factories were shut. So things don't get produced, literally. Like items don't get made. Um, and all of those items are items that will get stopped in uh, like the biggest stuff that we know, right? So your apples, your Louis V's, et cetera, et cetera. So suddenly if the things aren't getting produced and there aren't people out there to even buy these things, you can clearly see you've got a demand and a supply issue. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the central bank response and the government response has been to try and nip that in the buds when the impact comes in the future. Because I guess, it's, it's a lagging, right? It's a lagging effect. I guess my only question on that was that, is, is it at all possible to artificially mimic um, normal like demand and supply like curves um let's say like the gov let's say coronavirus wasn't here and you were to draw out what a normal curve would look like is the government able to put you know you know we we've seen like the chancellors put in certain provisions in place and whatnot are you able to artificially give these companies the money that they would have got anyway and then there isn't any sort of economic issue if that question makes sense yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely makes sense because basically what, what we have at hand is that, you know, okay, three months of demand, i.e. GDP is going to be lost or minimized, etc. So you're basically saying, is there a way to plug the gap mm. so that three months of income or revenue is not lost? Yeah, I'm not lost from anywhere. So there's no, um, there's no further knock-on effect on the country. So the government putting this money in, doesn't mean that later the country is going to suffer. If that makes, do you know yeah, what I mean? No, it definitely makes sense. And that's what, they, that's what they're trying to do, right? With all of these measures. So they've gone beyond just um, monetary stimulus because monetary stimulus doesn't work in an, in, in an environment like this. This is not a credit crunch, right? Yeah. This is more like a, like a human crunch. Like it's, it's, not, it's not banks not being capitalized and credit being tied up in the system and people being over leveraged. That's not the issue at hand. It's the fact that people cannot spend um, and places are shut. So it's a demand side issue, which is not going to get, I mean, rates being at 0%, that's not going to change the fact that you're self isolating, right? Like that's not going to do anything. I'm, I'm at home isolating myself. I'm not going to go out and spend an extra thousand pounds because rates are zero. It's, it's not. It doesn't, it doesn't really do what it needs to do. Um, whereas the fiscal measures, they are more targeted. So for example, the, the tax holidays, uh, the delay of like uh, business rates and- If you could expand on that, please, just for those who don't um, know the actual specific measures that have been put in place. Yeah, so there's a bunch of high level stuff that's been in place. So for example, business rates, um, deferring payments for that, um, there's talk of like a VAT holiday as well for businesses. Um, there's also sort of, 
how would, would I describe it? Like wage protection. So, for example, a company won't have to lay off their workers for three months because the government will foot the wage bill. Um, there's there's a bunch of things that I guess each country has been a bit different with, with their approach. Um, those are the ones that we got in, in the UK. Um, in the US and like Hong Kong and stuff, they, they're literally doing helicopter money. So <laughs> they're writing checks to everyone who's an eligible citizen which is more targeted, right? If if someone puts a thousand pounds in your bank account, you're more likely to spend that than if rates are zero, right? So it's- That's a good It targets the right place and it has, um, it's got a better intention. But I think even with that, um, to answer the other part of your question as to whether that will be effective or not, um, it, it might not be because at the end of the day, it's for all of these measures to work, there needs to be confidence in it. And and if there's not general confidence in that the measures taken is going to be enough to offset damage that is being predicted, then it's not going to work, right? So for example, if this thing lasts more than three months and suddenly it's a six months issue, that's going to be a, a whole different ball game, like compared to three months, right? Like the, the stimulus response to this issue being for six months or 12 months or 18 months is a lot bigger than, than what's been in place now. Right. Um, and also if you just think about your, your personal attitude, um, if we go back to the example of being given like a thousand pounds in your bank account, if you think this thing is going to blow over in the next three months, then you might be happy to spend it. But if you think actually this thing is going to drag on for longer, um, or if just the fact that it's happened has made you more, um, uh, has made you less willing to just splash money and has made you a bit more uh, frugal with, with your behavior, then maybe you're not actually going to spend that a thousand pounds, right? Like your marginal, what do they call it in economics? Your, your marginal propensity to spend. Your marginal propensity to spend and, and yeah, yeah, and so yeah it's not necessarily going to be higher right so it, it all depends on 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 the level of confidence um and at the end of the day nobody knows what the real impact is going to be yeah just know that it's going to be a significant impact and if if the if the central banks and governments don't act that is not a good way to instill confidence into the general population oh appreciate that um, okay, so um, if we go into individual markets, then that like, um, we can touch on specific. What what markets do you think will be most affected then? Um, so if you think, I guess the the best way to look at it is in terms of um, the like just theoretically, like the level of risk that things are right. So. You, I guess before all of this, the general mantra was that like equities are equities are risky, so like stocks are risky and bonds are safe, right? That's that's always been the mantra, like the the basic mantra among people, mm-hmm. um, which isn't necessarily the the case because in in an environment that we are at the moment, um, just to put it into context, right? So the drawdown that we've had from the recent high in the stock markets to where we are now has been larger or similar size to that of the 2008 crisis 
has been way faster. Like the speed of decline has happened within three weeks. Mm. Whereas this, this, the size of this decline to happen in, uh, that happened in the 2008 crisis, that took like a year and a quarter. Yeah, 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 Do you see what I mean? So, if like you can even look at it on a chart and see the gradient is so 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 steep, mm. um, and that sort of highlights the fact that the speed of um, the impact has been absolutely massive, and that's why I describe it as unprecedented. Um, because during all of the previous crises that we've had, the speed of decline hasn't been this fast. Um, so in an environment like that, everything gets whacked. It's indiscriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if one, so for example, like, um, there's always the, the mantra of, uh, looking at companies that are defensive, like telecom companies. So companies with sticky revenues. So like your, your telephone provider, like, um, your internet provider, like all of these sorts of companies, like your utilities firms, companies that have sticky revenue that regardless of if there's um, a downturn or if there's an economic boom, they're always going to have that income because it's the basic necessities of life, right? Um, so in, in, in that context, it almost doesn't matter because all assets were sort of behaving as one because the, the, the nature of the decline was so fast. So the reason why it was so fast is because number one, you have a lot of leverage in the system. So um, I don't know if people would be familiar with margin calls, but having leverage within the system means that their exposure is bigger than the notionals that they've actually put at risk. So if they lose a certain amount, it means that they have to, they have to close their positions um, and, pay, and pay the margin call. So because of that, you're going to get for selling if things move too fast to the downside you're going to get people having to sell because they have to they have they need cash so they have to sell assets um and then on top of that you're going to get uh like redemption so like um the everyday like the everyday person on the street might have an isa and might look at the market and look at it and it's down 10 percent, and then think ah oh, damn I'm, I'm taking my money out of it i'm mm. gonna pull my money so then what happens then the, the fund in which their money is in has to sell down assets to raise cash in order to give that person their money back. Right. So if you, if you get these dynamics all over the place, like that's, that's just two factors that contribute to, to the, the speed of the decline. And if you think about that happening globally, everything moves at once. So imagine a fund, imagine I was managing like say 10, 10 grand for you. Right. And, I had, I had your money in, um, let's say gold. I had it in stocks. I had it in bonds. I had it in, um, currencies, I had it in a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And you came to me and said, look, I want to withdraw all my money. Um, I've seen what's going on in the markets. I'm not comfortable. Give me my own, my money back. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to have to sell stuff. Right. I'm, I might be, I might have utility companies that realistically should not necessarily be down because there's recurring revenue, but I might have to sell that because you want your money back yeah. to give you your cash back. So it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter what the fundamentals of the assets I hold are. It doesn't matter anymore because I need to sell stuff. Um, so that's been like the kind of the scenario that we've been in for the last like three, four weeks. And it's only now, when things are at such depressed values because of the sell-off, 
Um, it's only now that investors are kind of looking through the rubble to see, yeah, exactly, to see where the opportunities are because everything has come down together. Like bonds sold off, um, stocks sold off, even gold was selling off at a point. Gold, when gold is supposed to be the thing that people rush to when, like, right? So when you see counterintuitive stuff like that, it immediately tells you there's something larger than just the situation at hand. Um, people need the cash and that's, that's just the, the, the reality of it. Um, so yeah, man, that's, that's, that's what it is. There's nuggets that you can give our listeners. Like where, where are the, like, marks all the rubble and, and all that? Where are the in trouble for that? I get in trouble for that, man. I can't, I can't even speak on that, but yeah, I know, what I, know. I would say is that, um, if like personally, if, if I wasn't, um, I would not, I would not trade in this environment as a retail trader, put it like that, like personally, if I was a retail trader, I would not, I would not be involved in this environment because it's, it's too volatile. Like for example, um, like vol, like a, a general measure of volatility is, um, VIX. So basically what it does is it looks at the value of options in uh on companies within the s p 500 looks at the value of options across a whole different um price range and if the value of those options are, are, across a whole different range of price ranges is high it means that people think that the chances of the price being in a big wide distribution are high so that that reflects risk right mm-hmm. um and that level of vix has been I don't know if that explanation was clear or not. I tried to make sense still. I mean, Ure, do you not get it? Uh, no, I, uh, I wanted to, well, why did you mention me? <laughs> no, for the listeners, isn't it? You're always like, ah, oh, listen. For, for someone listening, I don't know if they were, I don't know if I made that or not. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes perfect sense. What I wanted you to maybe expand on, um, man, 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 man said, Ure, do I not get it? Why would you trade him before Sam was born, fam? Relax. <laughs> you mentioned, you, you know, you said, Ure, do you not get it? You're always doing that's like, oh, do you want to explain for our listeners? What's that, what's that got to do with me not getting it? All right, sweet. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, um, Josh, you mentioned something about future cash flow uh, yes. being what the market valuation is of a particular company. Uh, did you just want to expand on that particular point, please? Yeah, so um, basically, like, the stock price should reflect future cash flow, right? So, for example, if um, if you if you buy a stock, like, you buying that's so your ba- you're basically buying a piece of the revenues in the future, right? Because what what do companies do every quarter when they report earnings? They um, money that they've made, they always look to try and return that money to shareholders. So, for example, like Apple, they make like stacks and stacks of cash every quarter, right? And one way they return cash to shareholders is through dividends, um, but another way they re- return uh, cash to shareholders is through um, share buybacks, which is, is basically fake, man. Like buybacks are just a way to artificially, um, change the, the, uh, the earnings per share. So the amount of money that is being earned for each share, because when, when the company buys a stock back, there's suddenly less stock outstanding, right? Because they bought it back. So it doesn't exist anymore. So for every thousand dollars of, uh, of revenue they make, it's distributed across less stock. 
I mean, because they've done a buyback. So before the buyback, there might have been a thousand stock out, like a thousand shares out there. And after the buyback, there's say 900 shares out there. So that same $1,000 in revenue is getting shared across a less amount of shares. So it looks more attractive to an investor. And that's, and that means that the price goes higher. So um, that's, yeah, that's, it's a simple way to look at what a share price represents. So, so if Facebook is worth 300 billion, right? Does that mean that um, I believe that in the future they're going to generate 300 billion worth of revenue? Is that what that means? Exactly, because it, it, that three hundred that three um, that three hundred billion dollar market cap is gonna have a multiple next to that, right? So that might be that might represent say like ten times um, revenue of uh, two years time. So in two years time, they're gonna make uh, thirty billion dollars, and because of that, we're gonna value this company at ten times that, and all of a sudden they've got a three hundred billion dollar market cap. Um, so, so yeah, it's all about, it's all about cash flow, And that's why in a, um, in a low rate environment, that's why stock prices theoretically tend to do well, because I don't know, like if people would have noticed how, um, Donald Trump, like, especially last year was putting a lot of pressure on the federal reserve to cut interest rates. And the reason why he was doing that is because everybody knows his main barometer is the S&P 500. And with rates low, when you actually do, I mean, you, you guys will know when you do um, like your financial models, like when you discount, when you use a discount rate for, um, for present value of future cash, the lower it is, then the bigger that number is going to be. So if, if you're discounting things by a lower interest rate, then your present value is going to be higher. Um, and vice versa. So that's sort of like one of the ways that um, like US government was, in my opinion, just trying to manipulate the stock market. Um, what, what, what I was going to say was, so actually, um, obviously, uh, another reason why you're seeing in the recent budget, the, um, the uh, borrow rate or the, well, the Bank of England rate was Initially cut to zero point two five percent, but now been cut to zero point one point. cut to zero point one percent. Is because it makes it easier for businesses to borrow, and therefore promotes um more business activity. And that's a way the government's trying to battle this whole um volatility in the market. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in my in my opinion, I, I've I just it because of the issue at hand because it's not a credit crunch and it's a human crunch. That kind of response is just there for confidence. Like the bank, the, the central bank has to do something, right? The central bank can't just stand by and do nothing because everybody would say you're standing by and doing nothing, right? So they have to do something and they have limited amount of tools. They can either do quantitative easing or they can cut rates. That's the only sort of like stimulating package or stimulating tools that they have to their disposal. Um, but like you said, cutting rates theoretically should um, encourage businesses to uh, borrow more and use that capital that they acquire for more projects, right? And to get the economy um, pumping. But again, like you said, everybody's working from home. So why would you invest in a capital project or why would you um, increase your capital expenditure in an environment where 
your customers are not around and you don't have foresight as to when your customers are come are going to come back. Um, I think a lot of companies, especially the airline company at the moment, they're in a, in a scenario where you're really trying to look at your buffers and look at your covenants that you have on your loans to make sure that you don't default and you don't go bust and you don't lose your work stuff. Um, and basically protecting the business, right? That's your main priority at the moment, not necessarily um, taking more cash from banks to expand projects or, or or anything of that nature. So is that is there that incentive for individuals though? So like me and you, let's say we've, you know, we've got our savings in the bank, right? That we go and dump that with a bank, get a mortgage and get a house, like Obviously, there's the other angle of who's really trying to go in people's houses right now and like no estate agents are not going to, you know, you never know what's in the houses, but, it, you know, is there more um, of a target on individuals than businesses? Um, I think, I think it's through the monetary policy, monetary policy isn't really, it's not really a micro tool, right? It's, it's more a macro tool. So it kind of takes a few layers to hit the actual household. Um, so I think in terms of that, it's a, it's a bit limited in, in what it can do, but the government, um, the government policies that have come into play, that's more directed to, uh, like the everyday person, like directly, that's more micro. Um, so for example, something like, uh, the fact that there's like statutory pay. So if you have to self isolate and you have to stay at home and not go to work still get your your um your wages covered so the company can claim back on your wages and, and you still get paid that is a direct positive impact right mm. like rather than some rates somewhere getting cut from yeah yeah from a low base it was already low <laughs> you got <laughs> it, it was already it's not like you cut it from five percent to one percent yeah you know what i mean um so the fiscal measures are a lot more impactful um but they, they, they just has to be more. And um, going back to what Sam said earlier about whether there's going to be any lasting impact of the responses, um, most definitely, most definitely, because the, this money doesn't come from the sky. Um, number one, the tax... How does it work? How does it work? Is, is, uh, we, uh, we just basically put in another computer. And taking out... You know, but hopefully we finish one, 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 one box... Bring out another box so you can cheat or win. Is it like that, or how is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, QE gets described in, in a whole host of ways, like money printing, um, like a whole bunch of different ways. But the, the way I look at it is that central banks buy buy up the debt of of countries and, and companies. Right, that's that's what happens. There's an exchange between um, a, a bond issuer and a bond buyer. So the cash goes to the bond issuer and the bonds go to the central banks. Um, and essentially that's how, that's how you created cash. Like you place a deposit essentially in a company's bank account or in a government's bank account, um, which is why the ECB has kind of changed the whole dynamic of the bond, mar the bond market because they've been purchasing bonds um, every month for the past how many years, like since the sovereign debt crisis. Um, just after the financial crisis. So we're talking like nearly 10 years of consistent bond buying. Um, so that's essentially what it is. It's like, it's like 
basically imagine I ran a company um, and I was on the list of uh, assets that the centre bank wanted to buy in order to place money in the economy. So I might issue them with 100 million euros of, um, of, of bonds of my company and they will give me 100 million euros of cash. So to me, that's, that's the simple way to look at it because that's essentially what it is, is bond, bond purchases. That's literally what they're doing. Yeah. And an interesting thing is that now that is being one of the measures to, to sort of respond to this whole crisis is to expand um, those purchases beyond just bonds and now including stocks in there now. So equity stakes as opposed to just debt, which that opens a whole kind of different worms. Because if you think about what that means is that, for example, imagine the airline industry um imagine the government buying say a 20 percent stake of uh like british airways or yeah. whatever airline company. um that company is now essentially state-owned so imagine in this whole crisis a lot of the measures turn into like extreme equity purchases of companies left right and center and then all of a sudden we end up in a situation where most of the private companies are actually uh, oh, privatized. Oh, and, and the government now controls like most of the companies. Like, imagine we end up in a situation like that, which is possible because <laughs> like it, it's happened before. And, and if, if governments are looking to expand their purchasing um, list to include equities, then and, and that's what's going to happen, right? That, that's what. Well, I mean, I know that's one of the um, annoyances of a lot of people with regards to the airline industry. That when a lot of those, a lot of those companies failed in the past, they didn't spend a lot of their stock or a lot of the money wisely. People say they instead spent it on buying back stock from the government, and now they're the ones saying they, they need to have a bailout. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because if you look at like RBS, remember when. Um... In the 2008 crisis, yeah, yeah. the government bailed out RBS. They're still unwinding their stake, my boy, and it's 2020. Yeah, it causes a lot of structural damage if you have the government holding big stakes of, of, of private companies or public companies. Well, going back to, to, to QE, just very quickly, just to summarize that part, just so for those listeners who um, who are who don't have a financial background? Um, so uh, it's basically government buying bonds, and you said of different countries. Is that what you said? Central banks, central banks. But it's sort of, oh, so of different central banks in the world. Yeah. So the the Bank of England or like the European Central Bank will um, basically create billions and billions and billions of dollars of of cash uh, <laughs> by by. Print the money then. Yeah, by buying up the bonds of, of governments in the hope that those governments will then deploy that cash and buying the bonds of corporate companies in the hope that increasing the cash balances and, and liquidity of these companies is going to encourage them to um, uh, increase economic activity, right? So, so, when, 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 so, if, if, so let's say, okay, that's, that's interesting. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Okay, cool. it's, it, 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 money, yeah. It, it's, it's creating a... a and like if we're talking accounting terms, is is creating a, a credit and a debit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> that's 
that's that's what it's doing, right? Uh, the company will have to pay. The company will have to pay back the government later on. Yeah, I mean the the for the company, it's the got the central bank is just another bondholder. Um, but then it encourages issuance because if you know that the the central bank is buying bonds every single month in billions and billions and billions of euros, you're going to be happy to tap the debt markets and issue new bonds because you know there's going to be a buyer. Central Bank literally said, we're doing quantitative easing, we will buy your bonds. Mm. Um, so just briefly then, so you said it will have an effect later in terms of, let's say, six months down the line, everything's patterned with, well, the government now will have to repay um, the debt that they borrowed or the, and whatnot. So what in, in, happened there? So, so moving away from QE and monetary policy, mm and looking at fiscal policy, um, all of this money that is being used for all of these measures, that is increasing the deficit. So, so the government is, is borrowing money. It's using taxpayers' money and it's, it's borrowing money in order to pay for all of these measures, right? So the hundreds of billions of pounds that it's spending is definitely gonna have an impact because if we look at it in percentage terms, um, not even just the UK, but like US, Spain, Italy, France, um, the the size of the response fiscally has been like the range is like five to twenty percent of GDP. So if if we break down what that actually means, so say a, a country's GDP for the year is say like uh, I think in the UK it's like two trillion or something like that, two two point two trillion. Um, so if we look at that and we say, okay, 10%, we're going to take 10% of this and use it for uh, a response to the coronavirus, that money is coming from somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> our deficit now is going to be 10% of GDP bigger. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is necessary. It's necessary. And to be fair, all the austerity that we've had in this country over the last 10 years since the crisis meant that the deficit is actually quite narrow historically so there there is space um to widen it uh but what it also means is that as a as a credit counterparty uk is is obviously going to look a little bit worse because it's going to have a bigger deficit so in terms of borrowing costs um it could have a negative impact um, but yeah it's 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 kind of like, yes, we have to respond to it, but there's definitely an impact. Yeah. So we'll we'll do a deep dive jobs in a second, but what what is a recession like? What is a recession? Recession is it's just two quarters of, of negative growth. That's it. Yeah, two 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 consecutive quarters, yeah. Yeah, two consecutive quarters. That's literally it. Which is which is why I keep saying it's not inconceivable that we have a recession. I think the reason why people get like super scared is because the last recession was was particularly deep, and yeah. it lasted for a long time. And instead of um, instead of boosting spending from the government, the government chose austerity, so it made it even worse. So there was lack of spending as well as being a, being in a yeah. um, So yeah, I mean that's all a recession is: just two quarters of consistent. Um, negative growth. So whether that's uh, say like minus 0.1% and minus 0.1%, that's a recession. 
And do you think? Do you think we could be about to see a recession? Well, so why don't economists say that we're due on that? We're due on because do you remember earlier on I said like there's been a big disattachment between the real economy and oh, yeah, yeah. the stock market. Yeah, the stock market has been flying, bro. Like we've been at all time highs, like literally all time highs. But that's not a reflection of how the general person day to day feels and yeah. things that they experience. Like we still have high levels of poverty in this country. We still have a ton of people using food banks that shouldn't be using food banks. Um, you, you see what I mean? So we have all of these issues. The only reason why the the market has been at such all-time highs is because of all the technical um, uh, sort of things that have been happening, like all the QE that's been happening, um, mm. or the fact that like you've got passive investors that just buy everything and just keep buying. <laughs> like there's a lot of structural yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, was, that was the case, but that wasn't necessarily a reflection of how the actual economy was, was doing. Um, so in terms of like the um the the sort of the impact of like like where we are now in terms of like jobs and stuff like that, I think there I think it's gonna become a lot more aligned. That's why I said like now with the market behaving as it is, it kind of reflects uh real life a little bit better. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, I saw something and Abramovich lost two billion like, in the last week or something. Uh, it's something like he's still got he's still got like a ridiculous amount, but yeah, man, it's mad still. What jobs do you think are most at risk? Most at risk. Um unfortunately, anything to do with like transport and leisure, um, where literally like like we said, airlines, right? Hospitality as well. Sorry? Mm. Yeah, hospitality. If things are closing um, and people can't travel, straight away, anyone who's, whose income is reliant upon tourists um, or anything of that nature, straight away, that's out the window, right? Um, another big area... Out the window, out the window temporarily, or, like, would that, would that, industry, would that thing see, recover? See, this is the thing about the impact, right? So if it's, if it's a company that has enough cash on its balance sheet, to weather out a storm, then those jobs might not necessarily be impacted. Mm. Um, however, if it's a company, which most companies are, small and medium-sized, right? A lot of small and medium-sized companies in this country don't have, say, a month's worth of cash, like enough, enough working capital, basically. Mm. They don't have enough working capital to cover them for a sustained period of time if business was, was to dry up. Um, it's similar to individuals, right? Like individually, in general, people don't necessarily have like the next two months worth of costs in cash in their bank account, right? A lot of people are living check to check, month to month. So it's the same as companies. Um, and a lot of these small to medium-sized companies where there's like employees of like, I don't know, up to like 200 or something like that, um, they're in trouble because if their business ceases up, they cannot pay stuff. They literally cannot pay stuff. So they have to lay off workers in order to bring that cost base down um, and, and stand a chance of, of surviving in the future. So I think in terms of like looking at who's going to be most impacted, I think 
less so the big established companies that have a lot of cash um, and more so the small and medium-sized companies, which again, it goes back to my point of um, income inequality and wealth inequality, because this, again, this crisis is going to hit the people um, lower down the hardest. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's their jobs that are going to get wiped out first before people sort of higher up in the chain, um, which is why the government needs to be more aggressive in targeting the more vulnerable people in society first before bailing out companies when companies have massive amounts of cash on their balance sheets, right? What, you, what, what if you had a government um, measure to um, <clears throat> provide up to 80% or up to 2.5K of a person's particular salary in a month? Or on a, what do you think of that particular um, incentive? I think I think it's good, man. I, I think it's good because it offers some some level of protection, um, and the the people within that earnings bracket probably need that protection, right? Well, what's the what's the bracket for that? Because to 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 get two point five k a month is that before tax? I'm assuming, right? So that's before tax. So you're looking at maybe those around is that is that, that, that two point five k before tax? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's before or after tax. I think it's gross. I think it's gross pay. Okay, cool. So now you're looking at okay people who are maybe 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 making between the twenty five to thirty k um, a, a year on salary, and the government's going to cover eighty percent of that per month. Um, is that every industry? I can't, I can't, uh, or is that? Yeah, yeah, it's every industry. Yeah, it's broad based. It's broad based. So it's it's indiscriminate. Um, and remember, this this is this kind of the people this will target would be the ones that are at risk of not working. So this is people that have to self-isolate or have been told to work from home or have been told like not to work at all, as in like work is poor. So people that have to work from home, you're still working, right? You've not, not, you're not not working because technically you're not going to benefit from that because you're still operating. Um, It's only people that, cannot engage in their day-to-day work as a, as a result of, of, of the disruption that's going on. Those are the people that the, the measures, are, are measures are there in place for. Are there any other measures um, that, would, uh, that have been achieved? We spoke about the, um, the, the decrease in the, uh, in, the, in the borrowing rate. We spoke about uh, some of the measures. Um, we spoke about how they're, they're closing down a lot of these different uh, restaurants and, and businesses. Were you going to say something else? I think we mentioned something else. Because, yeah, I think, yeah, I think an interesting one, which we haven't got yet. Um, so obviously, like aside from the business rates uh, holiday and um, the, uh, the VAT holiday, and I think there was one for contractors, the IRF, I can't remember. The, was that postponed until next year? Yeah, that was postponed. So... Basically, I guess that allows people to use the system a bit more. Um, but one thing that would be interesting, which we haven't got yet, but has happened in Hong Kong and has happened in the US or happening in the US is helicopter money. You know, you say helicopter money, yeah? yeah. I, I, I've got like, the, I've got the image of helicopters literally raining money down from the sky. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how it works? It surely wouldn't be good because that's, that's essentially what it is, though. 
deep but it. Can you trust people with that money to spend it on the right thing? Oh, oh that's what that's, that's what Donald, that's what Donald Trump is doing, right? That's what Donald Trump is doing. He's giving people one k, I believe, right? Yeah, a month for what? Is that a month or? It's, it's just a check. It's just a one-off check. So he's buying their votes, basically. That's not going for them, is it? The thing is, right, like, I thought they do in Nigeria, <laughs> I, I hear what you say. This is is like mass AC in it. Mass AC. Everyone gets <laughs> exactly what it is. Everyone uh, gets uh, money dropping in there. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> when you said, uh, "What was your point again?" You, you said something. I trust people with that money, though. Yeah. So on your point, right? It's so it's gone. Be, it's beyond the the whole notion of trust or not trust it's a way to try and stimulate demand so the hope is that if you give if you look at it in percentage wise yeah so you dish out say like i don't know three billion dollars to the whole um population everyone gets a thousand dollars each you hope that i don't know your estimate might be that 10 percent of that is spent on drugs so it goes to the black economy Another ten percent is spent on something else in the black economy, so you lose twenty percent. There's eight percent left. Of that eight percent, let's say they assume, I don't know, sixty percent of the hundred percent is spent in the real economy, and another twenty percent people just save it. Mm-hmm. But from that hundred percent, you've got at least sixty percent that has made it made its way into the economy, and then we start getting the multiplier effect. That dollar travels around goes in someone else's pocket, that person spends it, goes in someone else's pocket, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the idea behind it, right? Um, so, of course, there are going to be people that use it for things that is never going to hit the real economy. But even if it hits the dark economy or the black economy, whatever you want to call it, it might still find its way back into the real economy. So, for example, if someone decides to go and hire a hooker, that person might end up spending that dollar like in the real economy, right? Or if they decide to go and buy drugs with it, that <laughs> dealer might decide to buy buy a car from a car dealer. You see what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have a, a weaker multiplier effect, but it might still have one. Um, so all of a sudden, yeah. Isn't the, it doesn't, the issue of um, the fact that people are self-isolating so people are literally not going out to spend their money still remain? Definitely, which is why I said it all boils down to people's confidence, which what I said before in in this whole thing being unprecedented is that social media is at the scale that it is now. It's never been like this before. So in terms of people's confidence, people are scared. People are getting, like people are scaring themselves because all they can do is stay at home and watch videos online that are telling them the world is ending, right? (laughs) Conspiracy yeah. yeah, exactly. And everyone is going to make their conspiracies and everyone is going to raise fair points as to what they think is happening and what they think is going to happen. Everyone has a somewhat valid opinion, but the issue is that everyone's opinion is vocalized and can be reached by anyone. So in terms of like um, remaining calm and and sort of being level-headed in in, in their approach, you're not really seeing that across the population because people like we all see it. We all get the WhatsApp messages forwarded from group onto group onto group that comes. Yeah, lasagna one and mad, oh, stupid, stupid. It's, it's nuts. But at the end of the day, that 
instills fear in people. So even if you put a thousand pounds in their account, they might not spend it. Whereas someone else who might be more optimistic might receive that one thousand pounds in their account, mm. can't leave the house, but says to themselves, you know what? There's hella deals out there because things are cheap. So I'm gonna buy things forward, essentially. Um, and yeah, I mean that that's you're gonna get that a, a, a among any population. Yeah. I think the key is that um, central banks and governments are acting now. And I think beyond this, I think this is actually a good opportunity to kind of reassess how we operate going forward. Because everyone has basically gone on pause. Mm. And this is a fantastic time to assess how yeah, as, yeah. as a world, like, you see what I mean? Like, how are we conducting ourselves what kind of economic system are we using um it's a great time to assess all of that speaking about moving forward what do you think the next um 18 months because i know that they're saying that these poly uh these um these measures are going to be in place until well, my company says i can work from home till april uh, yeah. but it might be till may um how, how long do you see this happening for because i've got some holidays planned for summer <laughs> why i think um I'm a very realistic person, right? And I think being in the UK, we kind of have an advantage of the fact that there are countries that are further down the curve in this scenario than we are, right? For example, China offers a, 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 blue, a blueprint of some sort. Hong Kong offers a blueprint of some sort. Um, most of Asia, essentially, like Singapore, South Korea, etc. cetera. Um, even Italy. Italy are probably heading towards the eye of the storm, i.e. like the absolute peak. Um, if you kind of look at what's happening there compared to what happened in, in China, etc. So we've got kind of benchmarks to look at to kind of extrapolate and see where we could end up. I think to think that we will be done and dusted with this in April is very, very naive. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. You, only, you only have to look to the fact that a ton of stuff in uh, in June has been cancelled, right? So the season has been postponed till when? May or something? Yeah, for beginning of May still. Beginning of May. Um, things like Coachella, Glastonbury, all of that stuff, like that's been all canned, right? Mm. Um, uh, exams in schools have been cancelled or postponed. That's and, 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 and to be honest, even Nigeria, Nigeria just recently announced they're going to close, the Lagos just announced they're going to close yeah. uh, its, its borders. So I guess some companies, some um, some uh, geolocations haven't even started to implement some of these measures anyway. This um, is the thing. This is, yeah, I, I mean, my personal view is that so I, I've got a friend who, who lives in Hong Kong and they have been, uh, they have been quarantining for like nine weeks now. Or like 10 weeks now what are you thinking? Or, or you can eat buffet <laughs> more, more than two more than two months now um and we have been in this situation we're not even on full lockdown yet so we have even yet to reach the levels of peak that a lot of other places have reached endured and 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 left from um but i think what's happening now is that we we have to accept that things are going to be completely different going forward. There's no way we can go back to how everything was before. Um, so what in terms of like 
people know now it's dangerous to be shaking hands. People know yeah, just, they can't be like too close and shit like that. Yeah, just in terms of like uh like learned behavior and um people's attitudes. So for example, like um I I really don't use this example, but it's kind of only one that, that has an impact on on mass population, right? So for example, whenever there's um a terrorist attack, all of a sudden people become a lot more vigilant, right? So a lot more vigilant in terms of um uh in terms of their surroundings in public, um, even like prejudice and and sort of like uh, negative stereotypes that are born out from that, right? Like certain religions or or certain people's races and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the same way that has a lasting impact on on the societal makeup and how we behave, I think it's going to have a similar impact. It's it's going to be similar, right? And even the way companies operate. Um, so, for example, a lot of companies who, um, especially in finance, might fly from the US to Asia. To, to have one meeting. Yeah. And I'm going to think about that now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because now, where they've had that meeting on Zoom or WebEx or Skype and it didn't make a difference, mm. going forward, they might just think, actually, you know what? Why don't we adopt that process? Because it's cheaper and it still works. It's like me, uh, we, um, uh, my, um, involves a lot of travel. Like, I remember when yeah. I bumped into you in Canary Wharf, of course, which is still domestic. Um, yeah. But other times, it could be Atlanta, it could be Asia. Um, we're doing a lot. I've got a call tomorrow at eight in the morning with a Thai client. Whereas before, they would have flown one of us out to go to Bangkok, for example, yeah. um, for like a two-hour session. Yeah. Um, but I guess I guess that's one of the benefits, if I, if you like to say, of this whole um, pandemic. Of course, it's, it's hard to say that you know in, with people losing life. But one of the benefits is that it can allow us to fine-tune our processes so that moving forward. We'll, better equipped to deal with a pandemic in future and also moving forward our companies post-pandemic are operating at a much efficient pace than before it's also interesting i feel like in the consulting industry like the last like before we semi went on lockdown the government saying work from home and that a lot of clients just didn't want to see us a lot of clients were like look it's too risky blah 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 i feel like if you've got a lot of your business sort of hedged in that sort of line, like face-to-face, direct interaction, then you will start to think about bringing a lot more things like into the virtual world and online. And like you said, this is a bit of a trial period. Like, But then on the other hand, you think... That brings in another problem though sometimes, for example. Exactly. A lot of projects have been like pushed back and you can't actually do them at the moment. So yeah. uh, consulting, you start there's, to think. There's a massive element of like nobody knows, like, when you really break it down, like realistically, no one knows. We can all speculate and model things and and try and come up with like ideas of what we think the future is going to be like. Um, personally, I'm very optimistic because the human race over generations and generations has survived some horrendous things and always finds a way to make it back. Um, yeah, but like people's... I agree, but people's attitudes have been like smelly, blood. Like, what do you think of all them people that have been stopped? Do you think we'll run out of food? That's a question. You know what? I, d- I don't think we'll run out of food. Um, the reason why is because, um, like this, right? First of all, a lot of people are um, bulk buying things that <laughs> make sense to bulk buy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
it I makes just, no it, sense, man. Yes, there is going to be a oh there, there is pressure on supply chains, right? But yeah. um, I think companies uh, like the main food retailers and the grocers and and the cash and carries, etc. I think they, there's going to be a normalization period of adjusting to the levels of demand. Um, and I think the government has, even in countries that are locked down, the government has made sure that um, supply chains that pertain to um, uh, medicine and food and essentials remain open. But how is that safe though? Because they could easily catch it as well and then put it in our medicines and our food and that. They can, they can easily catch it, or, but I'm still... I'm still confident that there would be measures in place, right? So food handlers and it, within that supply chain, that supply chain is going to be tightened up. Okay. Obviously, it's it's an unprecedented thing. Like someone who's working could have it and then yeah. you, you see what I mean? Like it can pop, yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the end of the day, I'm not concerned that food is going to run out in the shop, shopping market. And I'm not I'm not behaving as though it will be. Like I don't, I haven't been bought buying and stress buying. Well, buying like season. Not fair. I, I think it's not fair because realistically, why? Like it's collective action, right? The only reason why the man to your left or the woman to your left is bought buying is because they think the next person to their left is. Gonna do it. Yeah, you're right. right? So it's like herd mentality. But if I can do my bit and not bought by, then I won't. And realistically, if we get to a situation where the shops are empty, I'm kicking off doors, bro. <laughs> <laughs> forget bulk buying. I don't care. Like, forget bulk buying. I'm kicking yeah, off yeah. doors. We're going to be in a different... You got to let roll, okay? Yeah, bro. Like, we're, we're going to be in a different situation. So... Yeah, you're right. I think, um, like, I try not to fuel that, um, the rhetoric that there is going to be, like, some sort of uh, shortage or, like, bulk buying and stuff is is essential i think smart buying makes sense so in terms of the things that you actually buy now like necessities i think that makes sense but i'm still doing my weekly like week to week shopping like shopping for the week and not shopping well, I do. That's what i'm doing yeah but what if we what if we get to a place where they actually lock us in our house i mean the, on the roads and that and then we can't actually go shopping to what get about, what we need like so this is you build up to the groceries well that's how it work yeah, that's the thing. So if you look at look at China, right? Like this is why I said we we're in a lucky position because we're not the first country this has happened to. So for example, like in China, even when they had their lockdown, um, I think it was like one person from the household was allowed to go out like every couple of days to get groceries um, or to get medicine, etc. So there would be some organized yeah. implementation of it, which would seem um what's the word it would seem very apocalyptic if that happened because we are not used to authoritarian type measures yes so it will feel like the world is ending i'm i'm very aware of that but my thing is that sentiment can change so fast like i i keep bringing it back to the fact that three weeks ago or a month ago unless you like Unless you were involved in something that uh, had China as a supply chain or your day-to-day -day work meant that you were actually assessing this as an element of risk, 
which to be honest, this has been on my plate since like January, literally like Chinese New Year, like last week of January. This has been a risk factor. Um, and it's only, it's only like in the last three weeks that we've, in this country, even the last two weeks in this country, that it's actually been taken seriously by the wider population. Um, so, yeah, I think the the level of sentiment can definitely get worse because there's still a few things that can happen. Like, for example, in Italy, um, today, actually, they just, they limited, uh, uh, basically, you can't move from within the country. So if you're in Milan, you you can't go to Lazio or Parma. Yeah, and like in, in, are crazy though, fam. Yeah. In like, Germany. Day, like, in Germany social um social gatherings are limited to two. So you, you see every day there's an incremental increase in yeah. the um the level of aggression in terms of the, the why, why the, did we take so long? Why did we you know having having that kind of having those countries why did we try to do herd immunity for a couple of days and then go to these more uh, more exhaustive measures why did we start with yeah i think it stems from the fact that we aren't an authoritarian regime so it's inherently difficult to, to tell a democratic society to do something forcibly like you, you have, people, people, still are, people still are listening anyway apparently um, victoria park it's packed with yeah, people just chilling. Oh, peck and rye, fam. Yeah, we're, we're too self-entitled. That's that's just the, the crux of it. We're, we're too self-entitled. Um, I guarantee you would get protesters on the street if the government came out and said, you're locked down. Nobody leave their house. I guarantee we would have had... That's so selfish, man. ...on the street. But it's because we're, we're a democracy and we're used to having rights and we're used... Like, come on, man, this is 2020. There's a right for everything, right? So... Uh, that would not go down well with the general population. So I think in terms of their strategy, um, obviously I don't know for sure, but I think already their hands were tied by the fact that we live in a democracy. And I, I personally I agree. I personally feel like if we had a leader that was rated a bit more like than Boris Johnson, then people would at least like hear what he has to say because at the end of the day, I, do, I, I disagree with that you know why do you know i say that because i feel like yeah. i feel like you've got to personalize things so once someone in your family has gone through it or whatever then you'll be like raw hold on that's why they're saying nhs like, that kind of do you know what i mean yeah. but when so, this man are looking at him like a joke fam. i disagree i disagree with that i think we have to remember uh maybe in the black community, the black community or maybe a small subsection subsection of black community members not really rate him, but a vast majority of UK people do rate him, and that's why he got elected to office. Generally seen as a joke by the vast majority. I, I, I don't know. I, to be honest, there isn't really. To be honest, there isn't, there, there isn't really a way to um, quantify that. Also, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah um, before, before we end as well, I wanted to look at the um, finances of the NHS and the ventilator aspect. Yeah, the government not just like invest a lot of the money that they're raising in extra ventilators in the NHS, give the staff more money, fam. You know what? They, it's interesting you say that because um, if you look in the in the US um, uh, fiscal response, um, part of the spending is going on uh, vaccine research and um, uh, ventilator uh, production. 
So it, it, it is existing, like it does exist. Um, whether or not we have a direct budget for that, I've not yet seen it. Um, so if someone can show me it, then great. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't think we have it. Um, it hasn't been listed as part of the responses. Um, but one interesting thing that, again, we, we might be able to take lesson from other countries. So for example, um, LVMH adjusted um, some of their factories to produce hand sanitizer for their, um, for their medical staff. So the factories that used to make um, perfume, uh, obviously business is on halt now. So they redirected that production um, instead of perfume, it's now hand sanitizers. So um, you can see like there's a private response and you can see like all the companies that, like I think it was Gary Neville, um, yeah, yeah, like donated his hotel towards to NHS staff. So there, there are measures. I think it's we're in a situation where um, uh, we're in an environment where you can't just throw money at things. Mm. There has to be some level of empathy mm. and response That's from true. from everyone. Like everyone needs to do their bit. It's, it's beyond. Like I think you. Um, I don't know if you, you guys know Basayo. Uh, Basayo yeah, yeah, she was on there. She was on there before. If you look at her stuff that she's been posting recently, like she's highlighting the fact that this is a chance for everybody to do their bit, like companies, like everybody in the system to do their bit. Individuals, companies, adults, young people, um, governments, etc., to do their part. And it is not, it's not a money thing at the moment. In, in, if you look at it, that, like this is... If this virus wants to continue going and instead of killing save you, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of killing four hundred people, decides to kill millions of people, then money's not gonna save you. Like that's not what's gonna save us right now. What's gonna save us is compassion. I am legend. Empathy. Do you see what I mean? So what I was gonna say was um in the end of time with the apocalypse, it's very important to keep loved ones closed. Um <laughs> before we get that's yeah, exactly what you shouldn't do. Self-isolate, kind. Before, before, before we go, um, uh, Nizzy, do you want to quickly do a quick... I don't know why Mike calls himself Peckham, but anyway, do you, do you want to call it... Do you, do you, want to, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> give it a quick intro to Nizzy Nomi. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, explain the Nizzy. Explain the Nizzy, bro. Where did that come from? Those that know will know, innit? Like, obviously, <laughs> if you're from South, if you're from South, you know, and um, oh, South, and... And you know, you know, like what that <laughs> really was. You know what Nizzy is in it, like pet Nizzy. That's that's what it used to be. And for me, I think like I'm very um, I'm proud of where I come from, and like how I've grown up, like where I've grown up from, and where I've ended up. And a lot of the a lot of the um, values and sort of skills that I had to take from growing up in that environment to now, a lot of it is still very, very useful. And it kind of makes the bedrock of, of, of what I am today. So I place a lot of value in it and I try to fly the flag as much as I can, because it should, it should be, I want to be like a good represent, um, a good, uh, representation of what can come out of that sort of place. So that's, that's the reason why everything, everything I scream is nizzy in it. Like, and. It's just it's I'm unapologetic with it, in it. You get what I mean? Like, what would you say to a younger from same background that just wants to, you know, be rolled or they want to look at other 
means of income, let's say, than following your path? Like, what advice would you give to them? Everyone has, everyone makes their own decisions and the choices you make, you have to live by. So if, if someone who has come from the exact same walk of life as you and has been able to make certain decisions to better themselves, that should show that it's entirely possible. And if you choose to deny it, then it's just, you're just displaying naivety and you're going to have to live with the, the consequences of your actions. Right. And that's just the, that's just what it boils down to at the end of the day. Like no one can force you to do something or not do something or to change your perception or not change your perception. Sometimes you have to experience bad things to realize that actually my vision wasn't really clear and, and I wasn't doing the right thing. So, um, I would just say that like, yo, it's possible to get from any A to any B. Let's just put it like that. And it's just a question of whether you want to or not. Thanks. And then I'm also so quickly before the what is Nizinomics? What, what do you do? What, what, like, what's, what's that about? So Nizinomics is, is, another, um, is another offshoot of the Nizzy empire. Well, uh, <laughs> if you, yeah, get me? <laughs> um, Nizzy Fitness is one of them. Nizinomics is another. Um, basically, it's just a platform that allows me to um, kind of give back all the knowledge that I'm acquiring um, from a specific area of expertise, um, i.e. financial markets and the economy, um, and just trying to give that back to people from my community um, in, in as best way I can. So I do that through... Um, uh newsletters i do it through um twitter threads i do it through recent more recently like insta lives um i'm always chatting to people like in the dms like one-on-one -on -one. not to kind of tell them what to do with their money or anything like that but just to sort of give people the um insight and education or at least point them in the right direction um so they can do their own research um and then yeah just sort of acting as a platform that allows uh, a wider conversation to be had about money and investing and all things of that nature. Um, because I think in our community, we really, we really need to normalize it because it's kind of seen as like this, like weird thing that like only certain people can access when really we're all participants in the economic system. So you either kind of face it head on or just get, what to do by it so yeah i know you did like a workshop in peckham last year are you gonna be doing more of them well in this environment it might have to be online isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man. So, so the last one we did was um i think one of the main points that came out from that which is relevant now is the whole thing about having different pots of money if you can um and ensuring that you prioritize prioritize those pots so like your cash buffers and in, in case things go wrong um etc so i think the the next one so i done an insta live the other day just to kind of like unpack a little bit about what's going on um currently um i try to do them as often as possible but the reality is is that this uh, this is like obviously i work in markets and yo it takes its toll man like living this this stuff every day 24 7 basically so it's it's hard to sometimes 
come out of that and then go back into it straight away when I want to like distract myself. Like um, yesterday, man was just playing PlayStation all day, watching Netflix. So it was a nice detox away from it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and do more um, Insta lives and, and videos and stuff like that over this period. Are you going to say something? Um, uh, what's your favourite article to date for that? If you can point people to read it. Um, what, the favourite one that I've written? Yeah. Um, I'll probably say the one that goes to people when they first sign up. Um, so when they first sign up to the newsletter, there's two, um, there's two newsletters that go directly to them straight away. So one of them is explaining the financial system. Um, and I think that is like 101 for anyone that doesn't really know and wants to get a taste. Um, and then the other one is looking at student um, student finance. What are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was getting twanged. Yeah, yeah, honestly. And even, you know what? I, I can't believe I forgot to bring that up. Um, sorry to have it just now, but the student... So right now, like... If the upper band of student repayments is the interest is 6%, right? Then it goes 3%. Then it goes like basically nothing. Um, so, sorry, it goes 6%. It goes uh, about four and a half and then it goes 3%. So right now, obviously rates are like nearly zero, but we're still here paying 6%, 4.5% and 3% on our student, student loans. So we're getting twanged. Like we're, we're literally getting... Above still twanged out of it. <laughs> yeah. One of the responses in the US has been to pause um, student loan uh, interest payments. Um, so I've been saying like, I've been trying to figure out who who can I bang on the door of? Like I've been trying to tweet people like um, like the student loans company, but obviously- That's what you were doing before. I thought you started a whole calculator thing, innit? I think you wanted yeah, to- Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. why I started the whole calculator. But even now it's, it's, it's even more pressing because it's like, mate, come on, man. Like, you want to be doing rescue packages, include us in it, innit? Like, cancel student loans or pause the payments or do something. But yeah, that's, that's I should have brought that up earlier, but it's... Uh, that's cool. I'll, I'll just mix it in between. That's cool. Yeah. Point of all. Would, would you say it's a good time to get a mortgage? Well, it depends, I think it depends on your personal circumstance. Because if you, if, you, if you were to get a mortgage now, your... Um, your, your view has to be that you're confident about your earning situation going into the future, right? Yeah, so yeah. In this environment, if you, if you are, then great, right? Happy days. You can take advantage of some some good rates. You could probably bid people at lower prices for their houses because they might be in financial distress. Um, yeah, yeah. That's probably going to increase going further if people continue to lose jobs. So um, what I would say is that in any crisis, there is opportunity and whether, I mean, you have to devise your own moral compass and your own ethics as to what sort of opportunities you want to take advantage of or not. Yeah. But rest assured, there will be people waiting in the wings to take advantage of the turmoil that we're seeing at the moment, guaranteed hundred percent. Um, so it just depends like where you want to sit in that spectrum. Um, but yeah, I think it would be, very prudent like if anyone is thinking about getting a mortgage now to think can i sustain like what is what is the economic situation going to be like in two years time because i can almost guarantee that 
we're not necessarily going to go back to the plain sailing um, benign economy that we were in just like two, three weeks ago. Um, because this thing can come back next flu season in November. And, and even even with that, um, even if, even when we're in summer, the southern um, hemisphere of the world will be in winter. And so yeah. what's going to happen there? That's the thing. Any financial risk that someone is going to take now, I think it's, you have to approach it in um, no way different to before. You just have to evaluate the pros, evaluate the cons, evaluate where you are on the risk spectrum, how much appetite you have for risk, um, what you think your financial situation is going to be um, in the in the years to come, and just use that as as your sort of first point um, of of uh, evaluation, and then just kind of take it from there. Just consult as many people as possible. Um, I think that's the key. And quick one, I was going to say as well, what would you say to like events? Um, like, I'm not saying like events companies, for example, Afro Nation, they're really not trying to cancel Afro Nation connecting. Oh, but what would, you, would you, what would you say to businesses that are um, like weighing up the moral standpoint of it's fair to think that they may need this liquidity at this point as we will, it's not going to happen. And then needing then potentially like missing out on business for months or even year and needing that that cash like potentially going out of business if they repay all of those Yeah. Um so this is this is kind of one of the reasons why um when we talk about industries that got smashed on this, like reinsurance is one of them. Uh so reinsurers insure insurance companies, right? Um and uh those insurance companies insure events companies, there's wedding insurance, there's all sorts of types of insurance, right, for, for events and things of that nature. So um, I, I hope that a lot of these companies have insurance in place um, that will cover uh, sort of like lost revenue and, and cost that, like sunk costs that they've already departed with. Um, so I hope that's in place. And then thereafter is kind of a personal decision as to whether they refund people or whether they keep the money and offer alternative things in the future like that's that's like that's a company specific decision me personally i think if if it's an amount that me as a customer i can forego i think i would probably just write it off yeah. just move on because i understand the gravity the, gravity of the situation if it's an amount that i cannot part with at all then that's a that's a different question right like i would have a different response so um i think yeah if it's a tough one man and it's a business specific um response but i just hope people have insurance in place um yeah so like for example the government telling clubs and bars etc to close that actually allows people to claim their insurance mm. opposed to just advising them to close. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough for sure. Oh, love for breaking it down, man. Iri, what you said? Yeah, I've just been um, tapping my knots at the same time um, oh, today to get educated. Um, Josh, much love. Uh, we'll get you on again um, for a different topic. I got, I got some stuff in mind. Um, 
Uh, so you said we can find your Nizzynomics. Is that website as well? Do you have Nizzynomics.com? Yeah, there's a Nizzynomics.com. That's where the um, student loan calculator lives. Um, and there's a couple other things on there. And then um, on the Instagram and Twitter is uh, Nizzynomics. So you can sign up to the newsletter on the website or through Twitter or through Instagram, whichever platform. Um, yeah, Nizzynomics on everything. Is there a weekly newsletter, yeah? So it started off as weekly, um, and it was, ma- it was mainly like market updates, telling everyone what's going on, etc. Um, and then it kind of changed to just more sporadic. So whenever I thought of a topic that I think is uh, sort of decent education and would be interesting, then I do a deep dive on it. Um, so the last one I did was on ESG, so um, uh, ESG investing. Um, which is a topical theme in the investment world at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think the next one I do, I don't want to be cliche and do it around what's going on, but I think I have to because <laughs> it's... People need to be informed, don't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, let me Yeah, man. Right. Uh, thanks, bro. Sam, where can we find you? Uh, follow me, Sam underscore Luke on everything. Follow My City, My City Podcast on everything. Um where we've got a lot in the works we've got workshops planned i'm gonna link up with lucy as well for that one man um we've got a live show <laughs> at some point that post corona live show or maybe a virtual one like, uh, listen it's gonna hit different man come on and then i can follow iray at follow me at, um um iray liwa um on twitter which is i-r-a-y-l-i-w-a iray.ae on Instagram, which is ILE.AE. Um, follow the podcast everywhere, as Sam said. Uh, My City Podcast, one word. Follow us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. Good to chop it up. <laughs>